Welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Walter, lots of news in the disinformation world this week. We had, would you call it a surprising piece of news, a surprising announcement from, from, from Christopher Ray, who I guess is setting the record straight. What's he doing exactly? Well, Ray went on Fox News and told the interviewer, Brett Baer, that the FBI has for some time, as you know, <laughs> Brett, uh, uh, believed that the uh, COVID virus is the result of a potential lab incident. Um, and it was startling just to see that sort of 50-second nut of his um, uh, his speech or you know his, his presentation because it suggested three things. One, that this is kind of old news. Yeah, it may be old news to a lot of people, but as far as government uh, uh, spokespeople go, it's very new news. Um, secondly, it, it also suggested that uh, the press has known for a while, uh, at Brett at least, uh, what the truth is, but um, he's making it formal for some reason right now, Ray is. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I felt after this and a couple of the articles that uh, uh, quoted the Department of Energy's study, and we were unclear uh, why the Department of Energy was the was the vehicle for COVID disclosure, but so it was. Um, I thought, here is a case study in a topic and in a, uh, a notion that was censored using all the tools that you've been discovering and, and writing about in the Twitter files. And, uh, you know, people were canceled, uh, silenced, uh, deplatformed, uh, their advertising, if they were commercial institutions, uh, um, attacked. And blithely, it turns out that they weren't, in fact, uh, disinforming anyone. They were informing them uh, earlier than the U.S. government. So it's now a crime to be early, it seems. Um, <laughs> Ray also, by suggesting that this has been known for a long time, uh, made us think that these people who were being censored in the past weren't being censored sincerely or genuinely for spreading false things, but for, for spreading true things in advance of an official line. So uh, it, it was a kind of microcosmic case for me of how this new regime, this new system operates. Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of the, um, it, it's a great example because it didn't happen over such a long time that we don't remember the entire arc of this story, uh, yes. hopefully. Uh, and so we're not going to get that 1984 effect. Most of us aren't going to get the effect where we just simply don't remember that we had the exactly opposite opinion about this pretty recently. Um But this is an it's it's an amazing story. There have been some significant signposts on the road uh, along the way, and 
So we, we, you think about it um, first in terms of what was said initially. Now this is this is back in early 2020 when we were at the peak of our uh, coronavirus panic, and this was a touchy subject mainly because Donald Trump was making all kinds of insinuations about China and about you know them having a um a hand in this and and blaming China for for the virus and then this is forgotten too that people were very against sure. uh shutting down travel to to and from China um but there was a big um uh, pushback in media against the idea uh that this was anything but a naturally occurring virus and so you had headlines like or you had you, you had passages like this from NPR in April of 2020 virus researchers say there is virtually no chance that the new coronavirus was released as the as a result of a laboratory accident in China or anywhere else um, here's the Washington Post in May of 2021 a year later um, now they're saying the lab leak possibility once dismissed as a rid- ridiculous conspiracy theory. Um, so, it, and then there were, there were numerous other stories, um, that, that were really interesting. Remember, uh, this amazing scene when Anthony Fauci appeared Boy, at a festival a of fact checking festival. In yeah. uh, in early 2021, right? <laughs> Can you imagine what the what the what the late nights must have been there? This was, um, and so during during this event, uh, Politifact's Katie Sanders asked Fauci, "Are you still confident that COVID developed naturally?" And Fauci answered, "No, I'm not convinced of that." <laughs> And, and this is sort of quietly mentioned, and suddenly, um, you know, p- p- this was Politifact act- asking the question, and Politifact is run by Pointer, which had already given a, a "quote unquote" pants on fire rating to somebody to a virologist who had suggested on Tucker Carlson's show that that this was a man made virus from a lab. Um, so they had to reverse that rating back then. So we already had a little bit of this kind of touching up of the landscape um, about two years ago. Now we have the FBI coming out and saying, oh, well, we've, we've been kind of, we've, we've long believed, or we've, as you know, we've believed this for a while, that this could be a potential um, source of, of the virus. And so now they're going to redo history again. They're going to write all these stories, you know, a new way again. They're, they're not going to say the lab leak theory initially dismissed, then, then, you know, begrudgingly allowed, now accepted. You know, it, it won't be written that way. It'll just be written as though we always thought that. And it's incredibly frustrating. Well, you know, he who controls the present controls the past. Uh, but. What this all illustrates for me is that the disinformation um, complex that you've been digging into is not really devoted to um, 
just canceling people or just silencing things uh, in a partisan way, but is trying to manage the sort of life cycle of information. Um, because we must assume that Fauci, other government entities, and now we know the FBI for some time, have known differently. But for some reason, it was in their interest, they believed, to uh, to squelch talk of this uh, truth um, for a, a certain period, for a certain season uh, of, uh, you know, public life. And so we've seen them go full circle from denials, uh, the suppression of speculation, the suppression of contrary news into an admission. And now I don't know what's going to happen. They'll have to find some other basis for COVID censorship, I suppose. Um, but there is a, uh, a beginning at which they know something the public doesn't. The public is punished for talking about it. Then they decide as an official matter to disclose. Um, I, 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 I assume the censorship stops at that point, maybe moves to another target. It being a big machine now that has to feed itself. So maybe, uh, you know, other topics become paramount. Um, but knowing all this, the first question is, why should we believe them now if we really have actual proof they were being disingenuous then? It, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a conundrum to think that uh, we are supposed to, at certain points, trust them, and at other points, understand, though they haven't really given a rationale for their, for their secrecy, um, we're supposed to understand that their disinformation is good. Um, they're going to have to come up with, we talked about disinformation, malinformation, and misinformation, but they're going to have to come up with a word for what they do now, um, <laughs> you know, th that means good disinformation. Right. Well, uh, that, what, are they, what do we call that? Uh, bond uh, information? Bond information. You mean the French word for, yeah. for good? Yeah. Um, bone information. Um <laughs> Yeah, pre-information or, you know, uh, demi-information. Uh, it's half information. <laughs> or uh, information, yeah. Yeah. And, and, the, and the other troubling thing about all this to me is it implies that there are really two layers to society now. Uh, you get to know the truth and discuss it over cocktails with Brett Baer, for all I know, above a certain level. But you are attempting As to... As we know, Brett. Yeah, but but you attempt to hold a boundary for a period between your privileged sector and the general public, and then you let it cascade down into the general, uh, you know, lot of society. Um, but they haven't done a very good job, as I say, of of, of uh, rationalizing their prior uh, disingenuousness. Um, I, I saw Jimmy Kimmel talk about, and I've, I've actually seen this uh, tactic used in a lot of apologies for early uh, secrecy, that to, that to affirm the lab leak back then was to throw in your lot with bad people. What, like so, Trump? Yeah, yeah. 
Kimmel said, how, how could you agree with those people at that point? You weren't even, I even saw somebody say, we shouldn't investigate things if the answer is uncertain and might turn out to uh, help or aid uh, the other side. Um, we, we'll, we'll have to, you know, it, it's as though you saw a murderer run into a closet and, or a bad person, a Trump person saw a murderer run into a closet and said, he's in there, he's in there. But the investigators go, we don't dare open that closet door. It might prove them right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, he's over there on the bed. You can't see him, but we can. Um, <laughs> then later, after the Trump person has gone away or the, the election's over, they open the door and say, we caught the murderer. Let's, we should check in the closet. Yeah, yeah let's check in the closet. Yeah. We knew he was there all along. Uh, <laughs> we had good reason to believe for some time, Brett. Um so, Let's, can we say Brett after everything that we say? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. But, you know, this week on the Twitter files, I think you peeled off another layer of the onion and we and we found what? Uh, if you could summarize for the people who follow the Twitter files through this podcast. Yeah, I, th- this Twitter files is really about this thing called the Global Engagement Center. And this is about a month ago, maybe. Um, in the Twitter files, we started to see a lot of references to this organization, which I initially mistook for something unimportant because it was talked about uh, among the Twitter executives in this really dismissive um, way as though this global engagement center was a bunch of amateurs who don't know what they're doing and or they're engaged in something unsavory, what they they blame them for what they called offensive IO, right? Offensive information operations. So they didn't want any part of that at Twitter, apparently. Um, but as time went on, uh, and then after the Hamilton 68 story, which we've talked about, um, I started to get some tips that, well, first of all, there's a connection between Hamilton 68 and Gek, um, the author of the Hamilton 68 dashboard. Turns out to have been on the GEC payroll uh, up until right before the launch of Hamilton 68. The front man for Hamilton 68, Clint Watts, worked at the predecessor agency for GEC, this CSCC. So we start, I, I started taking more of a look at GEC. I talked to a number of people kind of in that world, and somebody says, GEC is an incubator for the whole disinformation complex the anti-disinformation complex in um in the west and what you find is that this goes back to the obama administration he created it by executive order then congress put it into the uh, ndaa so it's part of the defense budget and then you there's an inspector general report with a list that's almost entirely redacted of like 39 organizations that are now funded by GEC and I guess the Department of Defense secondarily. Um, Wait, let's pause for a second. An entirely, almost entirely redacted list of organizations that are funded by these other ones. Why would those organizations be redacted? Why would it be potentially embarrassing to be on that list? 
we have no idea. We, uh, we filed, we filed a FOIA request about that. We're expecting obviously pushback, but there, there shouldn't be any reason why an anti-disinformation subcontractor should be secret. Uh, I can't figure out a good reason for that. Do you have any informed speculation about what sort of organizations are on the list? Well, I know, for instance, they be press organizations. Um, that's possible, but less likely, you know, like, for instance, one that we know about is the Digital Forensic Research Lab Mm -hmm. of the Atlantic Council. Um, Mm -hmm. You might remember the DFR lab was the organization that the Senate kind of advised Facebook to um, work with when it was starting to zap accounts for the first time in 2018. So the DFR lab is funded is funded by GAC. and there's a number of other smaller groups. There's this thing called Disinfo Cloud. There's this group called Park Associates. There's the Information Access Fund. Um, we've we've found probably six or seven organizations, and we're going to launch this whole project to try to figure out who else is on that list. I'm told it's probably about a hundred organizations organizations long. But the point is, it's not so much about GEC as it is about this whole universe of disinformation groups that have grown up all over the place. Uh, some of them seeded by state money. And we talked about the Washington Examiner story involving yeah. another GEC funded organization, the Global Disinformation Index, which is sort of downranking media organizations so that they get less advertising, like how that relates to countering foreign disinformation, I'm not sure. but Well, well let, let's pause there, because when I saw that not only do they, you know, suppress sometimes organizations, uh, uh, social media, but they are involving themselves in the marketplace uh, by, by, by punishing uh, the profits or the, the income of organizations deemed unhygienic or illicit or whatever it might be. So in some ways, and you used an example of, you know, uh, sort of rhetorically, how does, how does it help the world that the daily wire is, um, has its advertising revenue squeezed, but the New York times does not. Well, I don't know that it helps the world, but the answer to your question from my perspective, it sure helps the New York times. Um, that that in some fashion, the press that we would expect to be reporting on all of this uh, business, the mainstream legacy corporate press that has thus far failed to expose this world, leaving it to, you know, one Matt Taibbi and some others, is actually profiting and in a, uh, and in a uh, competitive advantage in this ecosystem because there are tools used by NGOs and, 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 and nonprofits and other entities that actually go after their competitors for them. Yeah. And, and, and they help them competitively by giving them news stories that, uh, you know, that, may be detrimental or derogatory towards the audiences of their competitors. Right. So, um, you know, the, the gag is one of the things we've, that you find is that the, the, the method 
that they use a lot is they'll create a report about something. Um, let's say it's Chinese vaccine disinformation. And by the way, the, the GEC created a report that, um, and one of their criteria for identifying disinformation was that the, um, the virus was engineered in the lab. So <laughs> they're, right. they're in the middle of this too. Um, right. but, uh, but they would create a report like this. Then they would identify a bunch of names that they say fit this criteria of, you know, Chinese disinformation. Then they would give it to a reporter, uh, at AP or the Washington post or, or AFP or whatever. Um, and then the reporter goes to the platform and says, why haven't you d- deleted account X yet? Because it's Chinese disinformation. I mean, you see how that works? It's not, it's not terribly sophisticated, but it's, it's a, it's a clear effort to involve yourself in the market and in the information landscape, which they are expressly prohibited from doing domestically, you know? And so, um, that that's interesting and and there's there's a whole lot of history here that's also really interesting but i think the key thing is america's always done this we've always had official bodies that were charged with the task of countering uh foreign disinformation which does exist uh you know the original one was the oss Mm -hmm. it does but it has yet to be demonstrated at least to me that it exists in the quantities and with the influence that has been asserted, uh, I mean, it, it seems to be three quarters straw man so far. Right. Which is why we never needed a gazillion dollar anti-disinformation complex. We had we had this thing called the U.S. Information Agency. Um, if you've ever lived abroad. You go into the embassy, you've probably met the USIS officer, uh, you know, about whom there's there are often very many rumors. But, you know, mm-hmm. USIA had a legit mission, uh, I, I think. You know, if the Soviets are telling stories and saying that the Americans invented the AIDS virus or that they're harvesting baby parts, well, the United States government has a certainly has a right to write up a report, put it out on Voice of America or you know, publish it in, um, abroad in the embassies. And that's what USAIA did for decades. Then it was closed down. Then they recreated it in the form of GEC, but it, it's a totally different model. Instead of doing this public reports, which they did before right. on the cheap, they're now pumping money, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to God knows what organizations to do God knows what, you know, and that that is very different from just simply answering disinformation. Well, yeah, as I alluded, sometimes I'm loath to discuss this topic without stipulating that there is much less disinformation than purported. Um, and you had an example in this latest Twitter files of huge numbers of accounts being uh, suppressed because they were putative agents of Hindu nationalist uh, thought and propaganda. So they just picked some, the, the way I interpreted this is they picked something out of the hat that was bad, Hindu nationalism. And then they just accused a lot of Americans of 
fomenting it somehow um, right. w- without even the even the tiniest attempt to to link these accounts to actual Hindu nationalism. I mean, uh, and you went and contacted some of the people who had been uh, who had been censored and they didn't even in many cases seem to know what the issue of Hindu nationalism was. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. They're, like they're look, it's a, it's a huge list. And this was one of the problems with, with this Twitter file started. Actually, this list was so big that it crashed when people tried to access it. It's 40,000 names. And uh, there are, there's so many people on there and a lot of them have, um, you know, there it's like Jersey girl, you know, Trump for it, see whatever. Um, and you contact these people and you start to get again, the, a whiff of a very familiar pattern. The same thing that you found in the Hamilton 68 list. Gosh, there's a lot of elderly Trump supporters on this list. <laughs> like, how did they somehow get in a list of people being suspected Hindu nationalists? That's question a question B is, why is a government supported um, organization in the business of trying to get Twitter to take down people who support Hindu nationalism? Like, why is that even well, a thing? Well, we have good question, but a, the way it looks to me is they're in search of boogeyman in boogeyman in general. Hindu nationalism was one. Um, others have been COVID disinformation, uh, suspected Russian or Chinese sympathies, etc. And using their list of boogeymen, they just go in with a machete and cut down thousands, tens of thousands of accounts um, without any real linkage of the original boogeyman to the people who are being uh, suppressed. And then when asked to justify it, they say they're part of the same ecosystem. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, this is the part that really drove me nuts because I I talked to some folks who used to work at GAC, um, yeah, and there's there's some anger there because a lot of these people are very patriotic, um, you know they they be- they believe very strongly in in the mission of like protecting this country maybe in a way that's different than you or i might think about it protecting it from what itself or or a a lot of these folks either came from like the the counterterrorism world or you know some other part of the intelligence community it's it's hard to explain but in the in their own way they're 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 used to viewing um america's fight with whatever overseas in in terms that are much less ambiguous than what's going on with GEC here, right? Um, so, you know, again, GEC originally is this interagency group that involves NSA, CIA, SOCOM, STRATCOM, AFRICOM, like all these other crazy groups. So there's all these people who are coming in from all of these uh, parts of the government that are used to really hardcore um, operations abroad, right? And, and now they're involved in this in this thing. And look, when you're going to do something like, let's say, I don't know, blow up a terrorist, you want to be pretty sure 
right? Like, I, I, I'm not, I think they're not often not sure enough, but I think these people uh, feel like they, they want to have a pretty rigorous methodology about this. Mm-hmm. What Gek is doing is you know, they'll publish a report and they'll say, okay, we have evidence that these five accounts are linked to the Russian Federation. And then they'll publish the evidence and you'll say, wow, okay, well, those, those things probably are Russian accounts, right? And then they'll say, well, but also accounts and people and groups that can, quote, generate their own momentum should be considered part of, of Russia's propaganda ecosystem uh, if they are in agreement with them or publishing the same news stories or, or sort of echoing the same thoughts, Right. And this is what drives people crazy. It's, it's this distinction between let's get it right, let's prove it. And then this other thing, this ecosystem idea, which is just let's just lump everybody together who might have the same thoughts and, and you know, and, and call them all part of, a, of an ecosystem, of a propaganda ecosystem and just start lopping them off, you know, in chunks, which is crazy. No, <laughs> Well, the, the thing about ecosystems is that their members play many roles and they abut other ecosystems and they work synergistically uh, for the life of the whole. Uh, the, it sounds like they're trying to treat cancer. They're, they're, they're going in and they're looking for cells that you know might multiply or infected uh, pieces of tissue and they're cutting them out before they can infect others. And it's kind of a disease model of the American polity. Um, and I would think that if you were a true patriot, you would be rather uh, discomfited by the notion that you have to burn the village. If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America this week. To hear the rest of our conversation, please subscribe at taibi.substack.com